Scene 7. The Grand Detour. Chantelpiece City on Tuscarora Mountain. Tuesday, Sext. Afternoon, 13th of June, 1284. Morrow of St. Gervais. Nordlandic Midsummer. The red and white striped bedsheet grabs Florence's attention as soon as Nganyan carries it out of Betsy Rose Mansion. She calls out to him. What's that? Nganyan says, We wish to parlay. Florence scratches her ear and calls across the chasm. You know I'm such a soft touch that I'll probably regret it later on, but right now the only terms we're going to discuss regard the manner of your execution. Dungaree Jean yanks the flagpole out of Nganyan's hands and waves its star-spangled banner. Excuse me, Mademoiselle Umpire-in-Chief-Elect, but you must have gotten the wrong impression. We're not here to surrender. We're here to share some good news. Both Master Levi and Captain Gunner have agreed to join the League of Nations. I'm not going to let the Heresiarch and his undead minions overrun our beautiful colony on my watch. Florence glares. Oh, yeah? You in what army? Horns go off beneath them. The anxious elves all rush to the ramparts of Thor's base to see what's going on down below. Haughty hosts of crusaders are mustering in a pell-mell of mad confusion in the wood elf villages on the forest floor. Trumpet blasts burst in the air, signaling the oncoming havoc of war. A dread silence reposes over Chantelpie City. At length, Florence looks up and rages. Your blood will wash out the pollution of their foul footsteps. Dungaree Jean still gazes over the railing. Praise the power that has preserved us from your cult. Florence is so angry she spits as she shouts, Traitor! I should have known you've been siding with our foes all along! Not at all, Mademoiselle Umpire and Chief-Elect. You are the one who has allowed outsiders to seize control of our fair city. We will not let the Heresiarch dictate our freedoms. Until a moment ago, the League of Nations was only a group of elves brave enough to stand up to you with that black flaming sword of yours. But now, heaven has rescued our land. Swear that you will expel the Heresiarch, and I will summon the League of Nations to assist in the defense of Chantelpie City. Refuse, and I'll rally every freedom-loving elf on Tuscarora Mountain to depose you. Florence fidgets with the scabbard of the Sword of Laban, calculating a solution to her predicament. If Dungaree Jean starts a civil war now, she just might win. Florence decides to cut a deal. Okay, okay, fine. He has terrible bad breath anyway. If you bring the League of Nations into the fight on our side, I'll kick the Heresiarch out of here after we win. I swear it. Kick him out now. That would be foolish. We've been preparing to fight the Crusade ever since he got here. He's got a bag of nasty tricks all ready for them. Let him unleash the Aeolian winds upon our enemies before he leaves. Agreed. But remember, we will fight for you only as long as your cause is just. The Agamemnon Phenomenon The earth groans under the trampling feet of dwarves, men and gnomes, as each company of warriors seeks a place of honor on the battlefield without exposing themselves to too much danger. Dozens of heralds go about shouting orders amidst the tumult until at last they are arranged in a formidable battle line. Although Amherst's contingent is small in number compared to the Duke of Philadelphia's many vassals, allies, and mercenaries, the cardinals immediately notice the baron's absence. 
Suited up for war in armor adorned with the papal insignia, Paterno Cardinal Orsini canters briskly into Amherst's camp on his warhorse and calls out, What is going on here? Didn't you hear the trumpet call for the general muster? Amherst exits his tent and casts a smug glare at the cardinal, saying, I'm sorry, your eminence, but you have failed to deliver on your promise to make me the new viceroy. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm sitting this one out. Paternal Cardinal Orsini growls, Be warned, Amherst, if you abandon this crusade, you will incur an excommunication. Abandon the crusade? Heavens no, I promise to accompany the crusade, not to fight in it. Paternal Cardinal Orsini is not amused. Suddenly you think you can go playing at being a lawyer with me? I could destroy you in the course of a leisurely afternoon siesta if I wanted to. Your eminence, sighs the Baron of Amherst. The memory of the killings at Fort William Henry has engraved in my mind a deep caution about war leaders who feel bound to nothing more than the letter of a treaty. We all have to do a better job in managing expectations if we are going to work together. The cardinal clenches his fists. This is treachery. At least I'm an honest trader who plays by the book, your eminence. My herald, Sir Sean, is still trying to make sense of your playbook. Until then, no game. Paternal Cardinal Orsini gallops off, seething with rage. Sir Sean turns to the baron and asks, My lord, do you think it was wise to irk the cardinal thus? Amherst shrugs. The man betrayed me. The world is not big enough to hold both of us. My Achilles' heel is my ambition, and he holds Paris's arrow in his quiver. We can't both walk out of here alive. Right now we should be looking into every possible stratagem to make sure the elves crush the cardinals. Muttonhead Parley Unlike the high elves up in the imposing tree-lofted bases and towers, the wood elves have no protection against the invaders. Some flee toward the marchlands, but most crowd around the elevators, screaming for a chance to be hoisted up to the safety of Shentlepiece City. The dwarves working the cranks strain to get the overloaded elevators up while shoving off desperate hangers-on, slowing the process down. Parents pass their screaming children to anybody lucky enough to make their way onto an elevator. Chaos rules over their terror with gloating tyranny. The wind smells slow and sour while the high elves watch the crusading army march toward them in unending ranks, trampling down the scutch grass and uprooting the dandelions. A few old crows call out the sounds of their morbid curiosity and add to the palpable tension. The high elves, safely tucked inside their thick wooden barricades, lean over the railings to mock the invaders, but the panicked squeals of the wood elf refugees take away some of their thunder. The Justiciar League officers busy themselves knocking on doors, asking for high elf volunteers to take the unsheltered wood elves into their homes. Vagrants can become a security liability in the event of an assault. Leading off Thor's base, the major dignitaries of the non-elf communities arrive. The Mountain Dwarf, Law Speaker, Sturl, Snorrison. The Garden Gnome, High Bailiff, Harford, Fellowhide. And the Longhouse Human, War Chief, Skarurin, also known as King Hancock, to the English. Representing the High Elves, High Commissioner Corden Blueson rides down in one of the larger elevators. He steps off before touching down, and it jangles behind him. A detachment from the League of Licorns rides over to him and helps him mount his battle reindeer. 
Once the Green and Brown League of Licorne's Reindeer Honor Guard has formed up with the High Commissioner, they unfurl their white flags and escort him across the scorched wood elf village to a parley with the Duke of Philadelphia and the Cardinals Orsini. With his teeth-sounding gray, Moderno Cardinal Orsini greets each delegate in his own language. Hail and sail, Monsieur Corden. Seg hunyawa, skaruin agigo requa. Kaishu Andrea Nanoa Storl, Benak Tigurn, Harford Normak. Then he says in Latin, relying on his translators to make his words understood. The holy office of the Inquisition has no ill feeling toward your peoples. We are only here to arrest the Heresiarch and his black flame cultists, including the renegade Florence Kibler's daughter. We personally assure you that she will get a fair trial. We will offer the fire elves a truce and safe conduct to our tent and back for the sake of negotiating terms. The elf high commissioner, compared to the others, is shortish, brownish, oldish, and mossy. With a voice that is sharp and perfunctory, he says in Latin, Salve, patres, conscripti, cardinales. Scenting he didn't get it quite right, he switches to elvish runic, saying, We accept your offer to negotiate as long as you withdraw your army past the marchlands. We demand restitution for all the mayhem and destruction you have caused before we discuss terms. The law speaker's command of Latin is quite strong, so he delivers his words entirely in Latin. Your eminences, we do not recognize Florence Kibler's daughter as the legally appointed umpire-in-chief, and we have no love for the Wendigo-creating cult leeching off her opulent city-state. Nonetheless, you have recklessly violated our territorial sovereignty and threatened our blood-sworn allies without inviting us to mediate the conflict. A diplomatic affront of such epic proportions cannot be ignored. King Hancock says in the Erokian dialect of the Tuscarora tribes, you say that the fire elf leader walks with the turtles and runs with the rabbits. Today the rabbit sleeps and the turtle finishes the race. You bring axes to chop down our trees and torches to raise our homes. But the sequoias above do not burn. The caves below do not split. United we stand. Moderno Cardinal Orsini sneezes with a sawdusty sneeze and says in Latin, our armies have merely chopped down a few trees. We have done no harm, esteemed lords of Tuscarora Mountain, and we have not invaded your territories. We are the High Inquisitors of Vinland, and our business is hunting down heretics. Princess Florence harbors the Heresiarch of the Great and Abominable Black Flame Cult. As soon as we arrest them, we will— The High Commissioner cuts him short. We will not discuss terms until you withdraw your army and make restitution— you have no hope of winning a war against us. Leave before we demonstrate our fury. With a grim look on his face, Moderno Cardinal Orsini suddenly lapses into his Italian dialect, common only on the city streets of Roma. All right, then. Here's our condition. Unless you hand over Princess Florence Kibler's daughter and the other black flame heretics, we'll whack them down off every scrofulous tree growing on top of Tuscarora Mountain and smoke them out of every smogless hole beneath it. The translators struggle to decipher the message. When they communicate the gist of it, the High Commissioner is so enraged he can only gargle and croak out a few nonsense words. Suddenly, he looks behind him and says in Eldrick, You're asking for it, and boy, oh boy, you're gonna get it. Here's our umpire-elect on her way now to show you what's what. 
Florence trots up on a war reindeer, followed by her father on foot in a dark cape. His face is pale and his jaw hangs open. The whiteness of the two canines on his upper jaw spooks them from afar. Law Speaker Sturl Snorrison turns around and seethes with outrage, shouting in elvish runic, Mademoiselle Florence, how dare you violate your parole by returning to Tuscarora Mountain? Florence keeps a stony hard face and rebuts his accusation. You condemned me without a trial for condemning Bartleby without a trial. I have come back to set the record straight. Now the Fire Elves have elected me umpire-in-chief. Any attack on me as head of the state is an attack on Shentlepiece City itself. The law speaker's fury boils with exasperation. We told you we would not recognize you as head of state. A political stunt like this is reckless in peacetime and sheer madness in time of war. The High Inquisitor's translator tries to explain to the cardinals what is going on, but it is all hopelessly confusing. Moderno Cardinal Orsini shouts out, Enough! War has been averted. Mademoiselle Florence and her father are here. The Holy Office of the Inquisition always gives heretics a chance to repent. Come with me, heretical elves, and answer to the tribunal. The law speaker turns back to the High Inquisitor and declares, If you have a mind to vacate our lands, we won't stop you. But be warned, dwarves hold grudges. If you bring any more pandemonium to our homeland, we will roll you over so hot and heavy that your widows will use your corpses as yule logs. The Eldritch Vampire the dwarves and gnomes send their criers who speak Eldric to the panicking throngs of wood elves around the elevators, asking them to calm down and proceed in an orderly fashion to the burrows and tunnels beneath Tuscarora, where they will be given refuge until the crusading army withdraws. Most forget about the elevators instantly and head for safety among the dwarves and gnomes underground. Those wood elves who desperately sent their children up the elevator now plead with the dwarf operators to help them get back down again. The undead umpire-in-chief, Kibler Ernestson, walks toward the High Inquisitors imperiously. The High Inquisitors are well prepared for dealing with the undead, and low-level clerics bring out a pair of silver manacles. They chain the umpire's wrists together behind his back. A pair of silver manacles come out for Florence as well, just in case. The Inquisition's guards escort the two prisoners into the tent. Once inside the tent, the gathered lords all have a common language, English, so the High Inquisitors order the proceedings to be conducted in English. They form a tribunal and give Florence an opportunity to publicly confess her wrongdoings and declare repentance. Her testimony is long and complicated. The Inquisitor's translator, a Teutonic cleric who knows Latin, Elvish runic, and Dwarvish runic perfectly, though his English is still a little weak, tries his best to explain to the gathered lords the convolutions of her political discourse through his thick Teutonic accent. It comes out something like this. Mademoiselle Florence, she says that she wants no slaughter of innocent lives. She says that the eldritch elves voted her, uh, how you say, first vampire? But she is still no vampire. She says that she will come to stand judgment. She says that her father is the eldritch first vampire. Her father will also come to stand judgment. Her father will say to us about the Schwarzfire. The Duke of Philadelphia looks at him, baffled. What is an eldritch vampire? The translator points to Kibler and says, That! The Duke of Philadelphia, William Penn, speaks as the highest-ranking noble among the military forces. 
Whatever. Just tell the eldritch vampire that we accept his repentance, but unfortunately cannot leave without an indemnity. Fighting this pesky heresy is expensive. Two hundred silver marks for my battalions, two hundred for the Inquisition, and two hundred for our allies and mercenaries should be sufficient. Florence hears the translation and asks, How about a fistful of dollars? The translation has less spunk, but paternal Cardinal Orsini catches the drift and says, Don't get too cocky with us, miss. With one wave of my hand, I can turn your undead father back to the realms of oblivion forever. Florence replies, Don't try to frighten us with your clerical ways, Inquisitor. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the sword of Laban or given you clairvoyance enough to find the Heresiarch's hidden base. Before she has a chance to finish that thought, her eldritch vampire father darts forward with incredible speed and force. Though his arms are still chained behind his back, they forgot to muzzle him. He leaps over a tall guard in a single bound and bites paterno Cardinal Orsini in the neck. Duke William Penn shouts, That eldritch vampire is biting the cardinal's neck! Someone get it off! Using the power of the Arkenstone in his chest, Vampire Kibler polarizes the three source stones in the amulet to repel fire, lightning, and metal. The steel-clad and steel-armed soldiers around him flip backwards as if an invisible fist has punched them where it counts. The braziers and candles in the tent flicker out and darkness adds to the chaos while the eldritch vampire wreaks bloody havoc. Before any guard reaches the tent flaps to let more light in, Florence jumps back over her chained wrists to bring her hands to the front, and she draws the Sword of Laban from a specially concealed sheath she had constructed specifically for this payback strike. By the power of Laban, I have the power, she thunders. Having memorized the middle cardinal's position and rehearsed this covert operation with her father many times, she strikes Moderno Cardinal Orsini in the thigh with the sword of Laban, freezing his innards and setting his armor ablaze with the black flame surging out from its blade. Hearing the commotion the outside guards pour into the tent, once sunlight shines through the open flaps, the light infantry guards, immune to the sorcery because they wear no steel, step forward. One brave swashbuckler with leather armor, a wooden buckler, and a silver sword chops at Vampire Kibler just before a cleric uses his turn-undead prayer. The silver sword severs his right arm at the shoulder. Although the turn-undead prayer cannot destroy the vampire's unnatural bond of soul to body thanks to the Arkan Stone, the effect of the prayer sends Kibler flying back as if he got hit with a wrecking ball. Florence quickly realizes that in a den of clerics, knights paladin, and fighters who specialize in countering magic, sorcery, and the undead, her father's invincibility has severe limitations. With his evil will enfeebled by the prayers of the holy cleric, Kibler loses control of the source stones in his amulet. The next moment, vampire Kibler's chest is a pincushion of medieval darts and missiles. Florence beats a hasty retreat behind her father, just in the nick of time. The leather-clad swashbucklers and a few light-armored guards lunge in to attack with wooden and silver weapons. Vampire Kibler whirls his severed arm on the silver chain like a flail and smacks the nearest swashbuckler with tornado force, flipping him over the Inquisitor's lunch table. Florence reaches back and drags her father out of the tent. Not a moment too soon, because a knight paladin steps forward with a blessed cross. The power of the cross clobbers Vampire Kibler and knocks him senseless. His body slumps over his daughters, but she does not stop. Florence hoists him up onto her shoulders and carries him off at a run. Before pursuing them, the crusaders turn to the last surviving High Inquisitor. 
Clutching his dying brothers, Piccolo Cardinal Orsini crumples his tear-washed cheeks and shouts, Kill them all! Duke William Penn objects, But, Your Eminence, many of these wood elves are good Christians. Suddenly, having lost his speech impediment, the hysterical Inquisitor screams, Kill them all, and God will recognize his own! The horns blow, and the Crusaders rush forward to a terrible massacre of innocence.